0: Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. I hope you have your Bibles ready to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. In his classic work, uh, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Robert Louis Stevenson uh, writes these immortal words Man is not truly one, man is truly two. In his novel, he writes about Dr. Jekyll, who is a kindly man, a religious man, who does very good deeds for people. And then he drinks a potion and he becomes Mr. Hyde. Uh, Mr. Hyde is reprehensible and he does all kinds of deplorable deeds. On one hand, Dr. Jekyll hates what he sometimes does, but on the other hand, Mr. Hyde mm, kind of enjoys it. And such is the battle that's familiar with the whole human race, a battle that exists inside about who we should be and ought to be and who we're not. And many believe that because Uh, Stevenson grew up as a Presbyterian in the Victorian age, that he wrote his novel based on the same struggle that Paul writes about in Romans chapter 7. In that chapter, verse 15, uh, Paul writes, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, and what I hate I do. But Paul refuses to acquiesce and to be satisfied with that kind of enduring battle Instead, he cries out at the end of the chapter, O wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, the Lord. That provides the background for the victorious chapter that chapter 8 is. So let's look at the text, the first 11 verses of chapter 8. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mindset on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. but to cri- but, cri- but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. What a, what a tremendous few verses. I wish we had time to go just phrase by phrase and break this apart. We can't do that. But we can, we can revisit the, the wonderful grand truths of, of this particular passage. I really believe it sounds like a commentary on what Paul writes to the Corinthian believers when he says, the old is gone and the new has come. So that's how we'll, that's how we'll approach this particular passage today. Because there is, there, there is this great truth that we need to understand and we need to live by this so that we can know the kind of victorious life the Lord wants us to live. First of all, we no longer live by the flesh. Now, I think everybody is... Uh, familiar with being tied up in knots, right? I mean, uh, we, we get tied in not, knots about viruses and we get tied up in knots about the economy. We get tied up in knots about uh, life decisions and we feel in our stomachs, we feel in our heads, we get headaches and sometimes pressure in our chest. Uh, but I want you to know also as believers, we get tied up in knots. There are some times that, that, that we don't walk and live in the confidence that, that Christ died for that we might experience and we get all tied up in knots about where we are in Christ and are we good enough? Are we doing well enough? Is it, if if he comes back today, am I okay? And all these question marks, listen friends, God does not want us to live that way. So what I want to do first is untie the knots. Let's don't live in spiritual knots. The Lord doesn't want us to. And these first four verses untie the knots for us. First of all, notice what he says. We are not condemned by because of sin. We are not condemned because of sin. He says right at the beginning, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that two word phrase in Christ is used throughout the New Testament to emphasize that when we are born again, we land in Christ. We have a new place to rest, to enjoy his peace and his presence. Now we need to learn to enjoy that. And, and understand that and, and grasp that and run after that more all the time. You know, when I, when I think of that, that phrase, I think about Noah and the ark and the great flood. And all this judgment was coming to the earth, right? Because every thought of man's heart was sinful. But God, but, but God saw Noah. And the Bible says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And God rescued Noah and his family from that impending judgment. And the day came, the rains were going to come. And what did God do? He told Noah, it's time to enter the ark. And when he entered the ark, there was rest in that ark. The apostle Peter writes in chapter three of his first letter, in the ark, eight people in all were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also when those floodwaters came, Noah wasn't hanging on to the ark for dear life. He wasn't hoping he was going to make it through the waters. He wasn't climbing on top trying. He was in the ark. And in the ark, there was refuge. There was safety. There was rest. And that's what the Lord wants us to enjoy. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Second of all, We are not constrained to sin. Verse 2 says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, before Christ, God's law had a stranglehold on us. Why? Not the law itself, but because of our breaking that law, the law of God. We stood before God guilty, the holy God, the God who created us. We, we sinned against him. And because of that, we were in its death grip. And Paul writes earlier in Romans, the wages of sin is death. Now, does the world know that? Do they feel, well, no, the world doesn't necessarily feel that. They don't feel that judgment or that condemnation that, that we have felt before because of sin. Um, certainly, you've probably met people Along the way, that uh, went to the doctor. I remember my, my sister in law friends with the doctor, she had gallbladder trouble. When they, found, when they did x rays, they, they found out she had kidney cancer. She had no idea. And her response was, How could I have cancer? I feel fine. There had to be a second opinion. The opinion of this world has it all wrong. They cannot give a diagnosis. We can't diagnose ourselves well. We need the, the, the perfect authority to tell us the truth about our lives. And the truth is that we have rebelled against a holy God. And, and something has been done so that I, can, that I can be new. I can start over. So in Christ, what happens is we, we are brought into a different kind of law. The law of the spirit of life that frees us. You know, this word spirit, by the way, that we have is the word pneuma. In the Greek, pneuma, it means wind, wind. And um, you know, we drive, we drive cars and we drive our cars on pneumatic tires. Those are tires that are filled with air that's pressurized. And, and on that pressurized, uh, those pressurized wheels, tires, we can, it, those can bear the weight of our vehicles. Now, what, what, what Paul is suggesting here is this, this law of the spirit of life frees us so that, so that we rise above sin that comes against us. We, we actually live a pneumatic life, a spirit-filled life. Now, more than that in just a minute. I'll come back to that. But that, that's why we're not constrained to sin. We live under a different kind of law today. Third, we are not charged with sin. Uh, If an arresting officer uh, stops you or comes to you and says you're under arrest, you say, what for? And verses three and four tell us. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he gave them sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. There's a capital charge against us. We have sinned. Well, we know it. Deep within us, we know we're guilty. We feel shame. We know that our lives uh, have not been lived in the way they ought to be lived. It's like standing before the judge and says, well, here's the law. Have you broken it? And we confess. You're right, Your Honor. Uh, I have not kept the law. But praise God, Jesus Christ steps in and He takes upon Himself our sentence so that we could be born again. Uh, this, is, this is the beauty of the gospel that we keep announcing over and over again. Um, and yet, even when we're in Christ, the charges keep coming because we know even in Christ, we don't live up to God's standard. That, that, maybe even you've had somebody in your life say, oh, you even call yourself a Christian because there's some uh, attitude you've had or some word you've uttered or some action you've done. And maybe their charge is even justified. They're right. I haven't acted like a follower of Jesus. That happens, right? Exactly. Thankfully, the scripture also says in 1 John 1:9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now notice what John the Apostle writes there. He doesn't say if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and merciful although he is, but he's faithful and just. What that means is that on the cross of Christ, Jesus already paid the price for that sin you're being charged with by somebody today. When they say, you call yourself a Christian and you confess that sin and praise God, that sacrifice for sin stays intact every day of our lives. And we claim that because God has declared us justified, not guilty, And the sentencing went to his son instead of upon us, and we can live free lives. So we are not charged with sin. We are not constrained to sin. We're not condemned by sin because of sin, and we are not controlled by sin. He says here, we do not live according to the sinful nature. We increasingly say no to the urges of the flesh. That's growing in sanctification. It was mentioned last week in the message. We grow into holiness all the time. You remember when Barbara Bush was first lady and she had her campaign, Just Say No. It was against drugs. And it did some good, but it wasn't good enough. Because just saying no won't do it. We have to also be able to say yes to something worth saying yes to. And that's a person Jesus Christ. And we say yes to him. He's the person in whom we find such freedom. Until then, we're going to always be dominated by this and mastered by this uh, law of sin and death until we find our refuge in Jesus Christ. You know, uh, since, since the creation of the world, uh, the created world has been subjected to the law of gravity. Now, For a century upon century, nobody knew what to call that. That apple fell on Isaac Newton's head and he gave it a name, the law of gravity. But even as that continued, that understanding grew, dreams started popping up of people who thought about flight. Would it be possible? And in time, what was discovered? The law of aerodynamics that is greater than the law of gravity. It superseded the law of gravity so that we can fly to our destinations today. Friends, that's the good news of Jesus. In the world reigns this law of sin and death. But praise God, there is a greater law, the law of the spirit of life. The, the, the dominating, the dominating law. And everybody who comes to faith in Jesus Christ can enjoy that, enjoy soaring with Jesus Christ and all that he wants to do in our lives. We have something, so there you have it. So let's untie those knots. Let, let's, 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 let's not live these spiritually bound up lives that, that rob us of confidence and joy and peace and rest. Let's, let's claim this. We are not condemned because of our sin. We are not constrained to sin. We are not charged with sin. And we are, are not controlled by sin. There is something better. And this is what the something better is that Paul's writing about. We no longer live by the flesh, but by the Spirit of God in us. We love this time of year when everything's blooming. And uh, here's some daisies. And you know, it reminds me back uh, in the early part of the 1800s, Goethe, the uh, playwright in his play Faust, was the first one to pen the words, He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me. not. And, and the sad thing is, there are a lot of believers who live that way. They have a, what I'll just call a daisy theology. Uh, he loves me, he loves me. Yesterday, I was pretty good. God really loved me yesterday. Today, ooh, I haven't been as good as yesterday, so I hope he loves me as much. Tomorrow, maybe he'll love me like he did yesterday. And so there's this continual fluidity. Uh, I'm in, I'm out. Brothers and sisters, God does not want us to live that way. He does, not want us to, he does not want us to be flexible and wonder where we are. That kind of mindset, he loves me, he loves me not, comes from one of two sources, the absence of grace or the abuse of it. One denies the power of the cross. The other one exploits it. In the first seven chapters of Romans, the Holy Spirit is mentioned two times. And Romans chapter 8, he is mentioned 21 times, 11 times just in our text today. Now, let's look back again at verses 8 through 11. Here they are. And notice the highlighted ones. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. is synonymous with one another about the Holy Spirit. It's all referencing the Holy Spirit. He's just spoken of in different ways. And what I want us to understand is the Holy Spirit is God. He is God in us. That's who he is. He's, he's one, one of the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by the way, he is not an it. So let's help each other. Never refer to the Holy Spirit as it. He's in he. He is a person. Just as God is a person and as Jesus Christ is a person. He's a person. Three things about him I remind you of today. First of all is he indwells us. We are promised his presence when we are baptized into him. In Acts 2.38, we are promised the gift of the spirit that live in us to, to, to help us in the glorifying of Jesus the Son. Now, There's a difference, though. Now, we have to get this. You know, several years ago, uh, my daughter Allison and her husband Jason came to live with us for a few months. They were between jobs. So they came to live with us. And uh, it was far different than the previous times when they came to spend the night. Because there's a big difference between somebody visiting you and somebody moving in. Uh, When they came to visit... We would fix maybe their favorite thing or, or we would just briefly our schedules or something like that. And we would clear our calendars. The folk. But when they moved in, we had to rethink everything. Uh, where everybody would sleep. How would they have their own space and us have our own space? How would we do meals? How would we do the bathrooms? All kinds of things. How do we do this? In other words, the whole living, how we did life changed. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in. And sadly, there are too many believers that treat him more as a visitor than a resident. Have you allowed him and welcomed him in to absolutely change everything that's inside? Is he he truly welcome to live in you as as he wants to live? The second thing that's true about the Holy Spirit is he fills us. Now, verse 9 uses this word that we are controlled by him. That doesn't mean that our wills are canceled. I think it parallels what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, when he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, uh, I hope you have never been picked up for a DUI. Uh, but if you have been, You know what that means. You know what it means if you haven't been. Driving under the influence. When you're under the influence of alcohol, no longer do you behave in the typical way you behave, right? What happens is that you, if you've ever been around a drunk person, they get bolder than they usually are. Uh, They get, uh, they say things. They say things they've never said before. They may even participate in risky behavior because they're not in charge of themselves. They're under the influence of something else. Now, that's true in the Holy Spirit in a sense. We need to be charged with an LUI, living under the influence. That being filled with the Spirit means the Holy Spirit is welcome to come into us and what happens is we become bolder for the name of Jesus. We take risks for the name of Jesus. We speak in ways that give glory to Jesus. We have something to say about him and his work. We are no longer the ones in charge of our lives. We come under the influence. You know, for you kids, let me put it this way. Let's say I've got some water here to drink and let's have some crystal light. So I'm going I'm to put some in for me looks really good. I'm really thirsty about right now. And then here's yours. I know what you're saying. We haven't opened the package. Exactly. That's the same thing I'm saying. When we are baptized in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. But friends, you and I have to welcome him and we have to take advantage of him and we have to practice the disciplines and we have to decide we're going to grow in the knowledge and understanding of Christ. We'll be students of the word, people of prayer, serving the Lord, worshiping him throughout our lives on the Lord's day. When, when, when our lives are completely changed. And so maybe this is you today where you know the Holy Spirit, but you've done nothing really to entertain him. You've not done nothing to welcome him. And to allow him to remodel and to, and to remake and to, to tear down and rebuild. We're in the transformation process. That's what, that's what the Holy Spirit does when he comes into us. So let's be charged with living under the influence. We are no longer our own. The Bible says we are bought with a price. And third, the Holy Spirit renews us. Renews us. Verse 11 says, The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. He is conforming us to the image of his son. And he does that as we allow him to fill us. One other word, about, one other word I want to say about that word fill is, is that Greek word, the, the word picture, it's another metaphor, is, is setting a sail in a way that the wind hits it and carries the boat along. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, that I'm aligning my life in a way that I want Him to carry me. And when when He's allowed to do that, then this huge renewal happens within us. And we become people we never thought we could be before. And that fruit of the Spirit that was preached about last week from Galatians 5, it becomes more obvious, evident all the time in our lives. My friends, you know, in the the Lord's Prayer, we pray, um, give us today our daily bread. And I think Jesus was talking about our physical sustenance, but you know, it can be applied spiritually as well. He is the true bread from heaven that nourishes us. And you remember in the wilderness when God supplied miraculously that manna from heaven only for the day? They couldn't keep any of it till the next day, or it would spoil. Every day, there was fresh bread for Him. And brothers and sisters, we, are made, we have to seek his freshness every day. If, the, if, the, if, if we were to ask you the question today, when, when, would, when did God really do something in your life and you have to go back 10 years ago? Something's awry. You can't depend on the bread he gave you 10 years ago to carry you today. He is new to us, fresh to us. Every morning when we approach him, we love him, spend time with him, pray to him, welcome him to our day, to lead our steps that's, that's who he wants to be in us. He wants to be, he wants to be our key nourisher, the one who, who breathes life into us by a spirit and who, who keeps transforming us into the image of his son. Are you letting him do that? It's a question we have to ask ourselves all the time. So let me just ask you today, is there any Mr. Hyde in you still? Are, are you, do you deal with the Jekyll and Hyde personality? As a believer, a follower of Jesus. Friends, it's just not, it, that, that won't cut it. How do you know? Well, I think, I think we probably know. But maybe it's like this. Like you have a church vocabulary and then you have a work or school vocabulary. That's Jekyll and Hyde. Or, or maybe, maybe you have a tongue that affirms that Jesus is Lord. But you would never give a testimony about that because you don't, you fear how you'd be treated. You don't want to be too fanatical about it. That's Jekyll and Hyde. Or you might praise God because of, because of all the good things he's given you. You know that all good and perfect gifts are from him and you know it's all, it's all a gift, but you, but you clutch it as if you own it and you deserve it and refuse to invest in kingdom purposes. That's a little Jekyll and Hyde. Um, Maybe you acknowledge, yes, I'm all for loving all people to new life in Jesus. But then you have that list of prejudices inside toward races or socioeconomic differences in people or education differences or job titles or neighborhoods or whatever it is. It's a little Jekyll and Hyde. Maybe you celebrate in the Lord's Supper the forgiveness that you've received, but you also love nursing this grudge of somebody who's offended you. It's a little Jekyll and Hyde. So would you be bold enough to do an examination and pray to God, God, take away Mr. Hyde. Get him out of my life. I don't want to be duplicitous. I want you to keep changing me from the inside out. And so praise God, we don't have to live that way. We don't have to live with a Jekyll and Hyde personality. Thanks be to God with Paul who delivers us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I trust that will be the spirit and the joy of your life. Uh, let's, Let's live this truth and share it together that through Christ, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Let's pray. Our Father, there is none like you, and we believe your word we, we, we do want to welcome your spirit more fully. And I pray today, Father, we will do so in every every aspect of our lives. There will be no place untouched by your spirit. I pray that we will live fully alive because of this freedom that came from the law of spirit of life. May God be praised through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.